satisfied her hunger was. Billows calmed on raging seas, the souls of men she craved. Sun and moon from balcony would turn their heads in disbelief. Precious blood would taste the sting, disfigured and disdained. On Friday, down in grief but woke with the keys till on that day first born of the slain the man Jesus Christ laid death beneath his grave oh, 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 oh. So three days in darkness slept, the morning sun of righteousness. He rose to shame the throes of death, and overturned his rule. The daughters and the sons of men, who came not their tours again. The dead of blood they hold was red, as the day rolled anew. On Friday,
Well, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here, and uh, we're glad to welcome you to our Bellingham campus. We also want you to know we're the one church that meets in multiple locations. At 10 o'clock this morning, we had a service at our Ferndale church, and tonight, for the very first time, we're opening Christ the King's Sudden Valley, which is really, really exciting for us, and uh, that's a good thing. So tonight around 6 o'clock, if you'd be praying, that would be absolutely fantastic as we birth another new church into the Christ the King family. The bully of Linden Lanes Elementary School in Brandon, Manitoba, Canada, was a kid by the name of Larry Woodkey. Larry started shaving in third grade. Larry had no neck, just ears and then shoulders. Larry was, uh, Larry was three times the size of every third or fourth grade kid at Linden Lane's elementary school. He breathed fire and his eyes were blood red. At least that's the way that I remember him. Twice a day, the children of Linden Lane's elementary school from Brandon, Manitoba, Canada were bundled up in their winter clothes which included boots and hats and scarves and long underwear and jackets and mitts and something called a toque. If you don't know what that is, I'll translate the Canadian, it's a wool hat, okay? And we were sent out to have recess and to face Larry Woodkey. The problem with winter clothes was that it slowed us down and made us easier targets for Larry. The winter clothes kept you from freezing to death, but they just opened a door to another kind of winter. Larry the Wookie Wookie. Right? Okay. 11.45 got that, all right? Larry didn't like me because I had a big mouth. Now, looking back now, I don't blame him. I probably wouldn't have liked me either. But many days held the same recess ritual for me. I would bundle up and I would have to go out and I'd have to face my nemesis, Larry Wookie. I would go out into the recess and I'd look for a teacher. Problem is you can't always hang out with a teacher. There's implications when you do that. I would avoid Larry and Larry would follow me. I would try to outrun my winter clothes and Larry always found a way to catch me, punch me, and push my face down into the crystallized blades of frost and snow in Manitoba and that snow would shred my chubby little fishbook cheeks. At least that's the way that I remember it. I followed protocols for dealing with bullies. I turned and walked away. Larry would follow me. I would try to talk it out, but Larry didn't talk very much. I I tried to freeze and stand like a tree. I have no idea what Larry does for a living today, but I bet he's a logger, you know? Just some of you missed that. All right. One day I had enough. I was just done running. I was tired of being the victim of a bully, and I summoned up 20 seconds of absolute courage, and I faced down my bully. I turned around. I looked at Larry and said, I am not afraid of you anymore, Larry Woodkey. I'm not running anymore. Let's fight. At least that's the way that I remember it. There were two sounds. I remember them. One, Larry hitting me, and the next one, me hitting the ground. And when I opened up my eyes, Larry was on top of my chest, kneeling on top of me, and he smiled at me, kind of a demonic, evil kind of smile, and he took off his glove, and he balled up his fist, and he prepared to give my parents the gift of a dental bill. 
At least that's the way that I remember it. And then he was gone, just like that. I uh, opened my eyes to see that a hero had saved my life. Somebody saw the travesty of what was happening on that playground. They wanted to correct that injustice, so they came to my aid. And I was so thankful that somebody intervened. I was so humbled. I was so relieved. And then I saw who it was. My sister. (laughs) Okay, for those of you who don't know, as a guy... When you get rescued by your sister, it's kind of a double-edged sword, okay? There are implications when you get saved by your sister. In the moment of salvation, I was thankful. In the seconds after salvation, I was horrified. I mean, you're in fourth grade. I've accumulated 12 man points, and they're gone. Like, all of them have disappeared in that second. I'm thinking, I'm never going to live this down. I'm completely doomed in a different way. I mean, all of a sudden, it's not the, the bully of Larry that's scaring me. It's the bully of image management. Like, how am I going to explain the way the fact that I just got saved by my sister? All the girls are like, yeah. All the guys are like, dude, I feel you, you know? Wow, sorry about that. The dictionary says a bully is a blustering, quarrelsome, overbearing person who habitually badgers and intimidates smaller or weaker people. And if you've ever had to face a bully, you know it's no laughing matter. In fact, if you've been reading the newspaper, you know that our country has actually been trying to curtail bullying in schools because of what happens to ones that are just a little bit weaker and a little bit smaller. It might surprise you to know, but God's been dealing with a bully since the very first pages of the Bible. Since the very dawn of time, the Bible teaches us a very difficult lesson. Now I know it's Easter and we want to be excited and we want to be happy and we want, you know, bullfrogs and butterflies and all that really cool stuff, bright yellow shirts, that's the good thing. So why are we going to talk about something dark here at the beginning? It's because the story is going to turn Here's something that that God wants us to know. There's a bully you can't beat, no matter how hard you try. The bully is sin, and that's the first little blank in your outline if you want to follow along with me. You see, we, we we all have that in common. We all have a sin problem. Every single one of us in this room has a sin problem. We've been born with a sinful nature. Even the very best person in this room has a problem with sin. The Apostle Paul I mean, the guy who wrote two-thirds of our New Testament, you'd think of anybody that he would not have a sin problem. But in Romans 7, he says, I got a sin problem too. I think we could probably relate to this one. Romans 7, Paul said, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. In my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. And then he asks a question. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Who's going to save me from this bully called sin? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what Paul says here. Paul's saying, I've I've, I've tried to deal with this sin problem on my own. 
I tried to do fewer bad things, hoping that would help. It didn't work. I tried to do more good things. That didn't seem to work either. I tried to numb my conscience so it wouldn't bug me so much when I keep falling back into the same cycles of sin over and over and over again. I tried to pretend that I was okay. I would lie about it. People would come up and say, how are you doing? And my answer was always, I'm fine. But in the bottom of my soul, in the deep recesses of my mind, I kept thinking to myself, who's going to help me? Who's going to save me from this bully of sin that I can't seem to beat? I've done everything I can to handle it, but I just need somebody to intervene, to help, to correct this injustice. Who's going to save me? And then Paul answers his own question with one name. Jesus. Jesus was crucified for our sins so the bully of sin and death could get defeated once and for all. See, when Jesus laid death in his grave, everything changed. It's absolutely true. On Good Friday, we gathered here in two services. We gathered here and we reflected on the cross. We saw that Jesus gave up his life on that cross and that he was laid in a tomb. And if the story ended on Good Friday or on Saturday, it would be such a tragic loss and Christians would just be fools. But the reality of Easter is the story does not end on Friday. The story does not end on Saturday. In fact, here's the deal. On Friday, Jesus laid down to take on the bully of sin. But on Easter Sunday morning, the unthinkable happened. Jesus stood back up again. Jesus stood up to sin. And when Jesus stood up, he came back to life. When he refused to let death and sin punish his children anymore, suddenly in that moment, a victory that was out of reach for us was finally secured. And that's why as Christians, we get all fired up and excited about these simple words from the Bible. He is not here. He's risen. He's risen. Well, because of that, that's why I can stand here today and I can say this with boldness and confidence as one who has met the man who took on my bully of sin and won. I can say these things with boldness. Through the victory of the resurrection, Jesus stood up to sin. That's the next blank in your outline. Sin was always winning until Jesus won the victory. The Bible says this in Colossians chapter 2, when you were dead in your sin and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us, and He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Here is the deal. When my sister interjected herself into my broken little moment right there, she dealt with my bully publicly. The only person who was more horrified about being saved by his sister was Larry Woodkey. Larry was horrified because all of a sudden he had to manage an entirely different image because this little bundle of energy in a purple parka named Karen Fishbook showed up and looked after her little brother. And everybody on the playground saw what went on. And when Larry walked away, all of a sudden I had some swagger. I'm like, yeah, bring it. My sister just beat you up. Yeah. My sister. (laughs) 
I'm still getting over it. Okay, so... You know, the reality is Karen dealt with my bully publicly and that changed everything. Jesus died publicly on a Good Friday. He dealt with sin publicly. It was a humiliating death on a cross and his death appeared to be a loss, but it wasn't. When he came back to life again, he disarmed the evil forces that had placed themselves against us. And when Jesus came back, he came back publicly. The Bible says that Jesus appeared to over 500 living, breathing human beings, all of whom were willing to die for the sake of that story. I know this about people. We don't die for stories that are not true. We just don't. And yet these people said, no, we saw him alive. When Jesus came back to life, he made possible the forgiveness of sin. Everything that we ever did has been covered. Everything we've ever done has been covered. The debt of sin that we couldn't pay was suddenly paid in full. Jesus paid it all when he stood up to sin. And his perfect life became a substitute for our broken life. Here's the beauty of Easter. He saved us. He saved us. Jesus took on the bully of sin and the bully lost for the first time ever. Through the victory of the resurrection, Jesus stood up to sin. Secondly, Jesus stood up to the lies. Every one of us tells lies to ourselves. One of the lies that I've heard, I've heard myself say this lie, and maybe you find yourself saying it because you, you look at that and you go, but you know, I don't have that big of a sin problem. I mean, I actually think I'm a pretty good person. You know, the reality is none of us are good people. We like to think we are. But in the deep recesses of our soul, in the dark little closets of our mind, the reality is every single one of us is anything but good. And and that's why Scripture says this. There's no one righteous, not even one. Nobody in the room, whether you've got a microphone or don't have a microphone, there is not a single righteous one amongst us because at the bottom line, we all have this problem called sin. And that can be offensive to us because we're like, no, 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 I I really am a good person. Here's my question to you. In comparison to who? In comparison to somebody that's perfect, we all fall short of the glory of Jesus Christ. That can be scary. Some of you are like, well, dude, like, I mean, you're a pastor, right? Surely you have to be good at least a little bit, don't you? You have no idea. You don't know the evil that happens in my heart, in the back of my mind. I mean, some of you might think, well, you, you know, you seem like an okay guy. Let me tell you the truth. You have no idea the thoughts of murder that I have in my mind in the gas line at Costco. I think evil, I plan out evil, I can create crosshairs in my mind and pick them off one at a time when they fill their tank and then open up the back of their minivan and pull out 17 gas cans. Don't pretend you don't know what I'm talking about. I know you do. It's like, ah! And the Bible says... Whatever a man thinks, that's him. Let me King James it for you so it feels more spiritual. Whatever a man thinketh, so is he. 
every one of us has evil. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can lie to ourselves and say, no, 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 I'm a good person. Here's the reality. Only Jesus is a good person. And if you know Him, His good is good enough. Amen? It's good enough. Here's a second lie. Second lie is that I'm so broken, God could never put the pieces back together again. Boy, the devil loves that lie, doesn't he? He tries to convince us that, that, that everybody else can be forgiven, but not us. Now, our sin is just in a different category. You know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like them. Not me. I'm just a little bit more broken. I'm a little bit evil, and I don't know. God, He may be able to save everybody else in the room, but I just don't think He can handle my pile of sin. To you, the Bible says this in 1 John chapter 5. This is love for God to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that's overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is what God desperately wants everyone in the room to know today. He wants you to know that no matter what you've done, no matter how big of the pile of sin that you've created, no matter how much brokenness or devastation you've piled into your life or the people that love you, or the people that love you their lives, Jesus wants you to know this. You're loved and you can be forgiven. The reason Good Friday happened was so that you could be saved. The reason Saturday was quiet is so that you could be saved. The reason Jesus came back to life again was so that you could be saved. God just wants you to know that He wants nothing more than to gather up the broken pieces of our lives and give us forgiveness for the past and hope for the future. It's what He wants this Easter. He stood up to the sin, he stood up to the lies. Let's add one more piece there. Jesus stood up to death. This is the power of the Easter story. I mean, let's just be honest for a moment, right? Death freaks us out, right? We spend our whole life trying to avoid it at all costs. We don't want to be around it. We don't want to talk about it. People just don't even go to funerals anymore because death just freaks people out. Nobody's ever prepared for it. It always seems to catch us off guard. As a pastor, I have to deal with just way, way, way too much death. In fact, this year, I just went back over 2011 and started doing some math. I discovered something. The average age of a person that I did a funeral for in 2011 was 18. That means half of them were younger than that, if you understand the math, right? We don't like death. It freaks us out. There's a reason why we so strongly resist death, and the reason is this. You weren't created for that. You weren't created for death, and so when we encounter it, something inside of us says no. I mean, here's the truth. Death scares people, but because of the resurrection of Jesus, it doesn't have to. I mean, if you want to try and understand why Christians just seem a little off and a little giddy, it's because in our economy, because of what God did for us, when we die, that's an upgrade. That's not something we're afraid of. In fact, it's something that some of us look forward to. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Suddenly, death's not that big of a deal. It doesn't scare us. Death scares people, but because of Jesus' resurrection, it doesn't have to. I mean, how good of God to make a way for us to return to what He intended all along. This is what He intended. You and Him in a relationship forever and ever and ever and ever and ever 
and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever that's all I can do or I'll pass out okay and ever and ever amen the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, that's the gift that He offers you. And He can offer that to you because on Good Friday, Jesus and death had a conversation. The Apostle Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians. Let me read it to you. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And then he starts asking questions. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Your good is not good enough. But if you know the one whose good is good enough, you can live a victorious and triumphant life right here because Jesus beat your bully. Jesus beat your bully. Jesus was victorious over death, and if we have a personal relationship with Him, we can be victorious too. That's my question this Easter weekend. Do you have a personal relationship with the one who stood up for you? Last little point in your outline. Jesus stood up for you by laying down His life. It's a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? He stood up for you by laying down his life. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Yeah, I didn't really like it when my sister interjected herself that afternoon or that morning, but I was appreciative of the fact that she did. In fact, I'm not sure I've ever really said thank you. So here's the deal. Every once in a while, my big sister kind of taps into the internet, and she lives up across the line in Canada, and she checks in to see what her little brother is doing. So, so Karen, if you're watching, in front of my whole family here on Easter weekend, thank you for standing up for me. You kind of freaked me out, but I'm really, really glad that you did, okay? So, that's official. Now, moving on, Okay. <laughs> There's something really cool about actually knowing a person who's willing to step in and save you. And today on this Easter weekend, you can know the one who stood up to your sin and answered the lies that plague you and, and pushed away the death that scares you. You can start a relationship today that will last forever and ever and ever. Amen. And the reality is he stood up for you. My question is, will you stand up for him? I remember as a little kid giving my heart to Jesus. I grew up in church. I mean, I, I, I sometimes wish I had this whole other testimony, but the reality is I, I did. I grew up in church. I used to tell people I was a drug baby. My mom and dad drug me to church over and over and over and over and over and over again. Bad joke. Okay. Yeah. But I remember as a little kid, given my heart to Jesus, and the only thing that I knew for sure was Jesus loves me, this I know. 
for the Bible tells me so. Little ones, to him belong, they are weak, but he's strong. And as many people, I, I accepted that, and I began to walk in that faith, and then I walked away. And it wasn't until my senior year of high school when I found myself sitting in a 1978 Honda Civic on the corner of Willowdale and Elmdale Boulevard in Brandon, Manitoba, Canada. I was stuck in that moment because my church was right across the street from a convenience store where all of my friends hung out. And to not go to church meant I would have incurred the wrath of Shirley, my sister and my mom, and that would not be good for anybody. And I was late, and I had no idea how I was going to get to church on time because I was used to hiding behind the building. I sat in my car, and I do not believe in circumstance. I believe in the providential sovereignty of God of every single moment of our lives. Then I turned on my stereo, and these were the words of the song that played. Who are we to say we really love Him? But all we seem to do is throw His love away. Will we smile when we stand before Him and laugh all the hours away or cry for the friends we left behind along the way? And I summoned up 20 seconds worth of courage. And I remember driving into that parking lot that day feeling all of the eyes of my friends burning through the back of my head. What was happening to Fishbook? I gave my heart back because God sat in my car that night and said, I stood up for you, you stand up for me. And I promised in my heart, God, I'm going to stand up for you no matter what. And yet over the next couple of years, even though I was going to Bible college, I just lived out this inner rebellion in the bottom of my soul where I thought I'm just too smart for God. I can run my own life just fine. And I just about lost everything. And I remember a moment when I had to get some stuff right. And I did a crazy thing. I actually went forward at a church and met a guy named Brian. And he just opened up his Bible and told me all the things that Jesus believed about me that I didn't believe about myself. And since that day, I have taken it as my personal mission to share with every human being that I can that Jesus believes you were worth it. And I can't think of another way. In fact, to me, it would be absolutely crazy to not have a moment on Easter weekend when people could have an opportunity to accept Christ. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor right now. Jesus stood up for us. I'm wondering if you'll stand up for Him. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and if you've never accepted Christ before, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me. A quiet, humble, no hype, no, no, no big emotional plea. Just the simple knowledge that, that He stood up for us, so you're going to stand up for Him. And I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And we're just going to trust God with the way the end of the service is going to go because this is all about Him anyway. So as the family of God on this Easter morning, would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Nobody's moving around and, and uh, 
We're just going to have a quiet moment here in the middle of this beautiful Easter day. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here in this moment, maybe you can relate to the first part of my story. Because you've never known the one who beat sin for you, but you can today. Maybe you're here and like me, you're a prodigal. And you've been running for a really, really long time. And today, through this prayer, you're just going to say, I'm going to come home. I don't know where you're at on your spiritual journey. The truth is, you don't know where I'm at either, and that's okay. But I'm going to pray this prayer. And if God is speaking to your heart right now, I'm going to invite you to pray it along with me deep inside of your heart. Let's pray together. Jesus, I don't understand all of this, but I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you came and you lived and you died and you rose again for me just so I could have forgiveness for the past and hope for the future. Jesus, you stood up for me, so right now I'm going to stand up for you. And I stand up for you by declaring that right now I receive you as my personal Lord and my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me. I know I don't deserve it. Thank you for loving me. I know that I don't deserve it. Thank you for loving me enough to pay a price I couldn't pay. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own. I give my entire life to you. And we give you all praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.